The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. This morning, I want to read a passage of Scripture out of Numbers, the 14th chapter, for just a minute here. Numbers, the 14th chapter. And I will want to start reading in verse 11. But before I read that, uh, let me just kind of set the stage here that uh, all of you are very familiar with the scene that's played out is that God's people have been in bondage for uh, hundreds of years in Egypt. Generations have been born into slavery. Uh, that's for many of them. That's you know that's that's all they've ever known. You know, and uh, freedom. The idea of freedom uh, is you know a concept that they don't really understand and have. And through a series of uh, miraculous, powerful displays of what God can do, uh, the Lord brings His people out of slavery and has um, told them that he is taking them to a land that he has promised them. We're all familiar with that. And they do, uh, shortly after they've been delivered out of Egypt, they do probably exactly what we would do in that situation, and that is not to uh, in, you know, uh, hold tight to the miraculous deliverance. It's not to uh, continue to sing its praises. It's to start to complain, because that's what, that's what we do as humans. You know, we... Uh, we're blessed, and very, very quickly those blessings uh, begin to fade in our mind, and we'll start to gripe about them, right? And that's what Israel begins to do as they've been delivered. You know, it's, oh, now, well, we don't have water. Oh, well, we don't have food. Oh, this, oh, that. You know, we should have stayed back in Egypt, even though we were slaves. We had food, and we had clothes, and all these types of things. So they begin to complain, and it displeases the Lord. And so... The Lord has an exchange with Moses here. And in verse 11, we, read, we begin to read about this exchange that Lord, the Lord has with Moses about the attitudes that the God's people are having after they have experienced such a great deliverance. And he says, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere, how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? I will smite them with pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than thee. So he's basically saying, I don't, I don't understand why these, how, how can y'all have these attitudes? I don't understand how you can have these attitudes. And he basically is saying, I'll tell you what, Moses, I'll just start over. I'll just start from scratch. If this is how they're going to be, I'll start from scratch. He says, I'll make of thee a greater nation and mightier than thee. And notice what Moses says here. This is a, one, of the, one of the many times that we see Moses intercede and be a picture of Christ as he goes to the Lord on behalf of a people. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest, us, thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that thou, art, that, that thou Lord, art among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of a cloud, 
and in the pillar of fire by night. Now, if thou shalt kill all these people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he sware unto them, therefore he hath slain them in, in the wilderness. Now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So a beautiful picture of Moses going to the Lord on behalf of a rebellious, wicked people, sinful people, although they're a redeemed people. And there are several bases on which he intercedes for them. He says, uh, he says things, you know, and, and other places also in the Bible. He goes to the Lord on the basis of, hey, Lord, don't forget your promise. Don't forget the promises that you made to your forefathers, to their forefathers. He goes and he uh, petitions the Lord on the basis of the Lord's character, his attributes. He says, uh, you're long-suffering and you're of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. So as he goes to the Lord and intercedes, he, he has different avenues that he goes to the Lord to say, let me give you reasons why you don't need to do this. Now listen, Moses is going to the Lord with human understanding. He's going to the Lord with the same mind that we have, right? The Bible tells us that the Lord's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And I believe it's the psalmist that even says that your thoughts are so far and higher above our thoughts that it's, that it's incomprehensible. So most, I've talked to some really smart people before, and I've talked to some people that are so smart, half the words they say, I don't even know what they mean. And I need a dictionary just to, to get through the conversation. But for the most part, even the most intelligent people I talk to, I can kind of get what they're talking about. You know, I mean, they, they, they're on a higher level than me, but they're not so high that I can't have some sort of conversation with them. But the Lord here is so far above and beyond our understanding and our intelligence that it's silly sometimes the way man goes to him, right? And if you read through the New Testament, some of the times... You see such a disconnect between the Lord and his people. Now listen, the Lord has a way of condescending to man's level and speaking to them in a way that they can understand. But sometimes even on that level, people we, we, we don't get it. Do you remember, do you remember that, uh, the time that the Lord tells his apostles, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, right? And they get off and they're like, oh, we didn't bring enough bread. You know, they, they missed it. They just had trouble sometimes. So listen, Moses is going to the Lord with a human understanding, the way we would go to the Lord, and not, not even coming close to fully understanding and comprehending the mind of the Lord. But he goes to the Lord, petitioning to the Lord, saying, Lord, please don't do this. Please don't do this. And here's some reasons why you don't need to do this. And one of the things that he said that just kind of struck me this morning as I was writing over here, that he says... In verse 13, he says, the Egyptians are going to hear about this. The very people that we uh, were in bondage to, they're going to hear about this. And they're going to tell it to all the inhabitants of the land. So what's, Lord, if you do this, 
the news of this is going to spread like wildfire and everybody's going to hear this thing. And it says, they've heard some things about you already. They heard that you're among this people. They've heard about the miraculous things you've done in delivering them. They've heard that you've led them by a pillar of fire at night, by a pillar of a cloud in the daytime. So, Lord, you have gained a reputation among the inhabitants of the land simply because what you've done for these people. And he says, but if you kill all of us now, he says that news is going to travel very quickly to all the inhabitants of the land, and this will be the end result of that happening of course this again is in Moses mind right and he says if you kill us all the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak saying because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he swore unto them therefore he has slain them in the wilderness so Moses is concerned about what Lord I'm concerned about what people are going to say about you I'm concerned about your reputation among the inhabitants of the land, Lord. And if you kill these people, what they're going to say is, well, he might have been great, but he wasn't great enough. Because he did a great, he brought a great deliverance, but he was not able to deliver them into the land that he promised. And so he gave up and he just killed them all because God is a failure and only great up to a certain point. So Moses is concerned about what? He's concerned about the name of the Lord and the reputation that comes with the name of the Lord. And that's what I want to talk to you about just for a few minutes this morning. If you flip over to the book of Philippians, if you want to, if not, you can jot this down. The book of Philippians, the second chapter. I want to read a few verses here talking about the name of the Lord. And I don't want you to lose sight of how important it was to Moses that the name of the Lord be held in great reverence and great respect. Listen, and we all know this. We all know that the wicked that, are, that, have, that have not been the objects of God's mercy and grace before the foundation of the world, we know that they're never going to bow a knee to Jesus on their own accord. We know that. We know that it takes the sovereign power and the grace of God to bring a ruined, condemned, alien sinner into the light of grace where they see the wonderful things of the Lord. We get that, right? But now there are people in this world that I look at and I have uh, no desire to follow them, right? But I might respect their power and authority. Do you understand what I'm saying? There, there are people... Uh, you know, you think about uh, Mike Tyson, right? Y'all probably know Mike Tyson. I don't want to be Mike Tyson's friend. Mike Tyson's not the kind of guy that I want to be around, and I don't want to have my family to be around. Uh, he, is, he does not seem to be a guy that cares anything about the, the Lord and his holy word. But it's hard not to admire his power, right? It's, a, it's fascinating to watch him box, right? There are going to be people in, in, in the world and in this time that Moses is talking about that while they have no concern and no desire to bow a knee to the Lord, that Moses is still concerned that they admire his greatness. Are you understanding? And so, in the book of Philippians, Paul is writing about something very similar about the name of God. The name of God. And he says a couple things here. He says, Wherefore God 
Speaking of Jesus, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> Do you notice here that it does not say that every knee is going to bow? And every tongue is going to confess when the Lord parts the sky and, and, and comes down with a shout of the archangel and the world sees him. It is not his splendor. It is not his glory. It is not his power that brings every knee to bow. The Bible says it's at his name. It says at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth. Now, Moses was concerned about the name of the Lord, the reputation of the Lord, right? Now, Paul writes here that the name of Jesus is above every name. It's a powerful name. And at that name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Now, <clears throat> in Exodus, the 20th chapter, in verse 7, this is where the Lord has given Moses... Uh, what we know is the Ten Commandments. Now listen, when Moses went up unto the mount, he did not come down with just Ten Commandments. Read through Leviticus. I mean, the laws uh, and the regulations that Moses gave his people, it's an exhaustive list of, of laws and rules that they were to follow. But we know them best as, if you look at the Ten Commandments, which the Lord said, uh, he told Moses to hew out two tables of stone, and the finger of God wrote these laws in, this, uh, uh, in these tables of stone. We know them as the Ten Commandments, right? And generally speaking, if you'll follow those Ten Commandments, you will have followed all the other exhaustive list of laws that he gave, right? So the Ten Commandments were given, and in Exodus, the 20th chapter, in verse 7, one of those commandments is this. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Moses' feelings of, Lord, please do not destroy your people because I want your name to be reverenced throughout all the land regardless of whether they're your people or not at least they will admire your greatness Lord I don't want anybody child of God or not to look at you as a failure as somebody that was not able Paul says it's a name above every name and at that name every knee shall bow God takes his name seriously Moses took the name of God seriously and it says in one of those commandments that you are not to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That, that word vain, it means to not look at, it, it, look at that name as being empty or worthless or nothingness. That's what the word vain means. Now, oftentimes you'll hear people use the Lord's name in a way, uh, uh, in, a, in a cursing type way, right? Now that absolutely would, would uh, apply to verse 7 here, not taking the Lord's name in vain. But it's not limited to that, right? Um, you know, and in today's time, if you have a four-letter word attached to that, we say that's taking the name, Lord's name in vain. Or if people say, uh, if they would, you know, put oh my in front of the Lord's name, uh, certainly those things are taking the Lord's name in vain. But there's a bigger 
uh, umbrella that we need to look at when it talks about taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second. What are the ways in this life that we take a name, right? How do you take a name? Well, my last name is Hagler, and it's Hagler because my mom and daddy's last name was Hagler, right? And so when I was born into this world, and they got a birth certificate, and they stamped my little feet in that stamp, and they stuck my name on that birth certificate, everybody in here's got one, right? They put my name down, Timothy, Luke, last name Hagler, because I was born from my father and mother, and their last name was Hagler. So I took their name when I was born, right? Y'all y'all took the names of your parents when you were born. Now, another way you can take a name in this life is through marriage. Uh, I met a girl named Tiffany Robertson, and, uh, you know, we, we dated, and, and there came a time that I was going to take her hand in marriage, and we set our vows, and we exchanged rings, and we did all of that. And then the preacher at the time, he, uh, when we were done with that ceremony, he turned us around, we faced the congregation, and he said, introducing to you for the first time, Mr. and Miss Luke Hagler, right? And in that moment, she took my name, right? We have a family in our church uh, back home at Bethlehem that uh, went to uh, China several maybe 10 years ago um, or so maybe not that maybe more than that I don't know 10 years ago or so and they uh, adopted a, a, a boy from China his name is Keegan and um, went through this whole process long adoption process and once they were done with that final adoption process and they signed that name that boy's last name I don't know what it was to start with but it became their last name all right he took the name of those, that mother and the father and the, that family uh, through the process of adoption, right? Uh, and that's such a beautiful picture uh, of the, what the Lord does for us in adoption right there. So those are three, the three primary ways we take a name. We, we, do it, uh, we take a name when we're born. Uh, you know, the women will take the name of their husband when they're married. And if you're adopted into a family, uh, you take on that last name. Now, the question is, how do you take a name in vain? We've talked about taking a name. How do you take that name in vain? I can remember my dad telling me many, many times as I was growing up, he would say, when you leave this house, you represent all of us, and our, meaning our family. Uh, you're a Hagler, and when you leave out of this house, you represent the Hagler name. And if you do something that is shameful out in this community, you're going to bring shame to our family name, you know. And, and that's typically the way it works, right, is, is, and the way it should work. And so that's something I've passed on to my children. When you're out in public, when you're doing things, you represent everybody in this family, and you represent our last name, all right? And so... When I was growing up, sometimes the, you know, the very thing that kept me out of trouble when trouble was in front of me, tempting me, was the thought that what is this, how is this going to make my parents feel and what is this going to do to our name and our reputation? Not, I'm not saying reputation in a bad way, but when you think of a name, what, what, is, what is a name? Obviously, a name is to identify somebody, right? But a name also... 
a name also is something that when you hear that name, certain feelings or thoughts are generated in your mind, right? What does the Bible say? A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and loving favor more than silver or gold. So there are certain names that I could throw out right now. And it's going to generate thoughts and feelings in your mind like this. I could say uh, Adolf Hitler. And you, all, you immediately think of certain things. You know, a minute ago I said Mike Tyson. I could say Bill Clinton. I could say, uh, you know, any, any you know, number of names. And as soon as I say those things, thoughts and feelings are generated in your mind, right? Uh, you might could say the name of maybe one of my um, nemesis when I was a child. And you could say their name, and I hadn't seen them in 40 or 35-something years, and you could say that name, and I've got certain feelings come up. That's what a name does, right? My father told me, when they hear the last name Hagler, I want people to have good thoughts generated. I want them to have good feelings. This is a family maybe that's helpful. This is a family that's churchgoers this is a family that fear the lord this is a family that's going to they're hard workers or or you know they're going to take they're going to be faithful to church and or whatever it may be and so he basically was saying don't mess that up don't go out here and act such a fool he would tell me and my brother that i he he was basically saying i've given you my name don't take that name and see that name as nothingness or worthlessness it ought to mean something to you and you ought to honor it and you ought to care enough about it to act in such a way that is going to bring honor to that family name. That's kind of how Moses felt. Lord, I want people to honor your name, right? So if I went out and acted a fool, it'd be like me taking my name in vain, my family's name in vain. When I married uh, my wife and she took my name my wife could go out and she could conduct herself in such a way that the message that was sent was that that name didn't mean anything to her. Right? You understand me? Because when she took my name, that means there are certain things in this life that only she and I can experience together. Right? Now, I can take, you know, this past week we were out and we were walking around on these fairgrounds and, and I held her, held her hand, right? I held her hand and I, I held it with affection and with love. And as I walked through that, you know, uh, that place that we were, uh, it was just a, a you know, just a, a bond, right? That's, that's for me and her. That's not for anybody else. And so if one day my wife, decided to take the hand of another man and hold it with that level of affection, she's taking my name in vain. It means that my name doesn't mean anything to her, right? So there are ways we can take a name, and then there are ways that we can take a name in vain in such, in a such a way that it doesn't mean anything to us. Now, the Lord's name is what we're talking about. There are three ways in the Bible that I've found that we take the Lord's name. And it's the same way we take names in this life. The way, the first way that I took my name was that I was born with it, right? The Bible says in uh, 1 John 5, 1, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Do you know that one of the phrases that we use uh, 
uh, in the religious world, the denominational world, and, the, and biblically is that we are born again. That's what Jesus tried to describe to Nicodemus in John the third chapter. He says, if you want to see or experience the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I don't understand that. Remember I talked about the Lord's thoughts and our thoughts. And, and he says, you've got to be born again. So what does Nicodemus start thinking? Well, how in the world do I get back in my mama's womb? How can I do that? Well, because the Lord's on this level and Nicodemus, where you're on this level. The Lord said, I'm not talking about going back into your mama's womb. I'm not talking about being born again physically. I'm talking about being born again by the Spirit of God. And he goes on and tells us that that happens at the Lord's appointed time and it's when and where the Lord wants to be just like the wind blowing is what he says in John, the third, uh, John 3, 8. It says it's like the wind blowing. Every single one that is born of the Spirit, being born of the Spirit is similar but also entirely different than being born physically. Being born of the Spirit happens at the Lord's appointed time, when and where He's ready, and it is a wonderful thing, right? Uh, the thief on the cross, cussing and reviling the Lord in one minute, and the Spirit of birth comes across him and makes him a new creature, takes a heart of stone out of his body and puts a heart of flesh in there, uh, a new spirit, a new heart that can sense and feel the things of God, and he goes from cussing in one minute to praising him the next because he was born. When I was, when I was in my mother's womb, I wasn't crying, right? I was in there unable to cry. I didn't have the air coming across my vocal cords to generate that sound because I'm in fluid, right? But when I come out of that womb and I'm born into this world, not created, but born into this world, all of a sudden it's a whole different ballgame, right? I'm screaming and I'm crying and all this kind of stuff. When the, when the spirit of the new birth comes across us, we're entirely different creatures. As if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And the thief on the cross is proof of that. Paul saw on the road to Damascus is proof of that, carrying letters to kill and imprison Christians one minute, and the next minute he's on his knees asking the Lord, what do you want me to do now? I'm here as your servant ready to follow you. So being born again by the Spirit of God at God's appointed time, we become an entirely different creature. And we take on the name of God as one of his children. Do you Does that make sense? Now, we also take it through marriage, right? If you read through the Bible many, many, many times, the relationship between Jesus Christ and the people that God gave him is described as a marriage, that we are, uh, we are the bride of Christ and he is the groom. Many, many times in the Bible, you, you get that relationship painted in that picture. Well, how, do I, how did my wife take my name through marriage? We also take on the name of the Lord through adoption, right? In Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, it says, According as he has chosen us before the foundation of the world, and it tells us in there to be predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. We take on the name of God when we're born again. We take the name of God through marriage with the Lamb. And we take the name of God when we are adopted into His family. So every single child of God that has, walked, that has ever walked on the face of this earth or ever will walk on the face of this earth carries the name of God with them. Just like I carry the name Hagler, I carry the name Jehovah meaning that I am part of the family of God through 
birth, through adoption, and through marriage. And I represent that family. Does that make sense? I am part of that family, and I represent that family wherever I go. And I can take the name of God in such a way that does not bring honor and glory to God, but makes it like Moses thought the Egyptians would say, yeah, you carry the name of God, but your God must not be all that special because of the way you're living. Think about that. That was one of Moses' great concerns. And it ought to be our concern. You see, when I went out of the house, there was a level of fear and trembling of what my daddy was going to do to me if I brought shame to the name of our family, right? There ought to be a certain level of fear and trembling of how we carry the name of God as we conduct ourselves and we live our lives on this side of heaven. We should live our lives and conduct ourselves in such a way where we bring honor and glory to the name of God through the way we live. What does the Bible say? Let, men, let, let your light shine. Let men see your good works so they may glorify God in heaven. Right? So how we conduct ourselves should be in such a way that it shows value and honor to the name of God. Let me give you just a few more things here before I close. In Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Notice this. It says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. We're talking about people who have been born again and enlightened. It's impossible that they have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now that does not mean that every single time we sin, we're re-crucifying the Lord. Because the Bible tells us that he died once, one time, and offered himself once to the Father, right? So every time one of God's people sins, it is not going and nailing him to the cross again because when he died on the cross, he paid for all of them. They're washed away. But notice this. It says, when they have tasted of the good word and they have been enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift, it says it is if they fall away, they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. Now I want you to think about this. There was a certain spirit that was living in the men who were there on that day trying to arrest, uh, trying to bring a condemnation of judgment and crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. When those people were in the crowd shouting, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him, do you think that they honored and glorified the name of the Lord? No. They didn't care anything about the name of the Lord. They wanted it brought to a low estate. And they had the spirit that was anti the Lord. They looked at him as nothing and as worthless, and they wanted him to die. That's the spirit that they had in them. And brothers and sisters, when we have tasted of the good name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And when we turn our backs from that, and it says when we've been enlightened, we've tasted of the heavenly gift, we've tasted the powers of the world to come, and we commit ourselves back to the world and turn our back on them, we have the same spirit then that they had that day in that He doesn't mean anything to us. Does that mean you're not a child of God? Absolutely not. It has nothing to do with your eternity. I'm talking about in this life, you have the same spirit of looking at the Lord as nothingness when you turn your back on Him and follow that way. But we should live our lives in such a way that we value the name of God, we honor the name of God, and when we're doing business, when we're in secret places, when we're talking to our neighbors, when we're on our knees in prayer, that people look at us and say, there's somebody that carries the name of God and they hold it in high regard and it means something to them and they brought great honor to His name. Now, to not do that and to say, well, I'll dabble with the Lord over here, but my primary focus is on living in the habitat of the world, then the name of God doesn't mean a whole lot to us. And that is taking the name of God in vain. Now, my prayer for all of God's people is that we don't take the name of the Lord in vain. We value it, we treasure it, and we conduct ourselves in such a way that brings honor to it. That was Moses' concern going full circle back. He says, Lord, I want people to hear Your name and be in awe. I want people to hear Your name and shudder at Your greatness and Your glory and Your power. Well, in today's time, the Lord is not dividing the Red Sea. The Lord is not leading by a pillar of fire. The Lord is not guiding His people in as visual of a way as He did back then. We have the spirit of truth, the spirit of comfort that dwells inside of His people. But we should want people to look at us and look at our lives and say, I shudder at how great the God is that you serve. And so we are the light that shines and illuminates the Lord in a very dark world. And I pray that we do that in a way that pleases the Lord and in a way that we honor Him. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.